Broadcasting from the land of Disney World in Tampa, Florida. This is Camp Street Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Thurl. This is episode 42, Preaching Behold Stories. went forth to sow, bearing precious seed in his hand, hoping and hope that he might see it grow. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom. He runs on his way, there's no time to be going slow. As always, that is the all-saved freak band with The Sower bringing us into this episode of the Cambridge Podcast. Now, I am currently in Florida. I preached this past weekend in either Coral Springs or Cape Coral. I don't remember where I was um, at uh, Christian Reform or Providence uh, Christian Church, uh, and it was a good time preaching. I kind of preached from Psalm chapter 2, but what is normally the case when I set off to start preaching, I get up there with a manuscript and then it's off to the races. I can basically just back rip, rip, and take that thing and throw it away because I am no longer tied to my uh, script, and I just start preaching. So I spent most of my time kind of uh, rooted in Psalm chapter 2 and the idea of the nations raging against God and then God sitting in heaven last and how that practically plays out for me on campus and as we as Christians prep for another uh, probably pretty contentious political year. So I was able to do that. And now uh, in this episode of the Camp Street Podcast and over the next few weeks, um, back in early November, I was up in Moscow, Idaho, and I was able to speak at, 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 as a panel discussion or I guess kind of a Q&A thing at um, CRF, which is the Collegiate Reformed Fellowship, which is the Ministry of Christ Church. And so over the next few weeks, I've edited those clips down into kind of more bite-sized pieces, and I'm going to play those out so you can hear uh, kind of that discussion. Uh, Aaron Ventura, who is the uh, campus minister there in Moscow, he interviewed me, and he just kind of... um, went through a myriad of questions that I thought were very good and helpful, and I think would be helpful uh, for us to hear. And some of these stories uh, you've heard before, especially early on in the podcast, as I was trying to get my feet under me and figure out exactly what I'm doing and uh, you know, try to share some of those stories. But uh, this is kind of building up on that, so hopefully uh, this will be helpful to you. So here's Aaron Ventura introducing me and then me discussing campus along with him and some of the students there in Moscow, Idaho. I'd like to uh, <clears throat> read this uh, bio for Keith before I introduce him. Uh, Keith Darrell grew up in a liberal Episcopal church and through a myriad of events in the ministry of young life, he was converted to the gospel a month prior to college. He attended Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. You you thought he wasn't from Florida for a second, Ohio, where he got a bachelor's um, in economics and, and finance. Um, After college, he was a fellow at the Falls Church Episcopal in Washington and received his Master's in Divinity from Covenant Theological Seminary, the National Seminary of the PCA. After seminary, Keith spent five years working in finance in New York City before leaving the finance world to be an evangelist on college campuses. Please give a warm welcome to Keith Darrell. Go ahead and drink. I need a drink. drink. All right, so I have uh, 10 questions with some sub-questions within them that um, will kind of generally guide our discussion. I sent these ahead of time to Keith so he knows what I'm going to ask him. Um, And then if you have questions uh, for Keith, I'll leave probably 15 minutes or so at the end uh, where you can just ask him yourself. 
So Keith, uh, before we get started, why don't you just tell us a little bit, who are you? Uh, we read uh, a little bit how you became a Christian, but can you go more in depth uh, with that? Yes, so I grew up in a liberal Episcopal church. Um, the good thing of that is I had to learn, if you're familiar with like the Nicene Creed, the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer, uh, going through confirmation class. So I had all that memorized um, in the sixth grade. And I was always kind of, a, I was the youngest of five, I was kind of a bad kid in the, like more stiff neck towards authority, like in school. So like outside of school I was okay behaved, but in school I was always fairly rebellious. And uh, so really became bad in junior high and then uh, got tired of getting in trouble in high school. Uh, so I started being a little bit better. I started going to Young Life, which is like a high school ministry. And the best thing about Young Life, they got me reading the Bible. And so I started reading the Bible many nights before I would go to bed. Philippians 1.21, the Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. And my sophomore year of high school, I remember reading that, just loving that someone could say to live is Christ and die is gain. So that kind of drew me more to the Bible. Because I always like people who are all in. I remember talking to my parents in, no disrespect to my parents, uh, in junior high. And they're like, you know, it's good to believe that stuff. But you don't want to get carried away. But I kind of thought, well, don't you want to get carried away? If you, if you believed it, don't you want to get carried away? And so anyway, Paul got carried away to live as Christ and die is gain. And um, so I would have thought I was a believer. Um, who knows in God's grace if I was saved earlier, but um, over the next three years, sophomore, junior, senior year, I'd read the Bible if I was a Christian. But halfway through my senior year of high school, um, an increase of just my own sin and my own life, or at least I became aware of sin. I was probably committing the same sins prior. I just became increasingly aware of it. And I had a friend commit suicide halfway through my senior year of high school, uh, which said, I'm going to be a good person. It's so, like, you guys are all young now, but like when 9-11 happened, everyone's like, we're going to be good. And then like, look at us 18 years later. We're not really that good. And, uh, and so that was basically on a personal level. That's what I was. I was I'm going to be a good person now. And the more I devoted myself to being good, the more everything just became sinful to me. Like I can't honor my father and mother. I can't do the dishes without complaining. I can't clean my room without complaining. And you're in a relationship with somebody, the way you roll your eyes or turn your shoulder or at the time not take their phone calls. Like we had a phone on the wall. And uh, <laughs> so that's how it's Keith, yeah. Keith yeah. And you, you'd rotate dials. Um, and so anyway, that's what we had. And uh, so yeah, you just don't take the phone calls and things like that. And so yeah, all that stuff just became exceedingly sinful. So over eight months, I started reading some Islamic literature. I'd go check out books on translated meditation. I'd like try to become one with, one with the cosmos. I'd sit at the edge of my bed and be like, oh, and all that sort of stuff. And uh, finally, after eight months, the gospel made sense. First Peter 5, 7, cast your anxieties on the Christ because he cares for you. I was dating this girl. I got mad. I punched my windshield and broke it. And, uh, and it scared me from the standpoint that like, holy cow, like that's like deep sin. You know what I mean? Like at that point, like, being angry became sinful, like that was utterly sinful, like I'd gotten like a couple fights or whatever prior to that, and like I could rationalize my anger, but at that point I was just like, the only way, this is just sinful, you know what I mean, there was no rationalization for it other than I'm a sinner, and so that was the beginning of like, I remember I came home, I dropped the keys on the counter, I'm like, mom, dad, I broke the windshield, I'm going to bed, and <laughs> so I just went upstairs, went to bed, and, but I was praying, First Peter 5, 7, cast your anxieties on the Christ because he cares for you. It was one of the only other verses I'd memorized. So I said, all right, Lord, if you care for me, I'm done. Uh, repent, I believe. And uh, that was basically it. And all my sins, were, I would say at that point, were lifted. I was 17 years old, about a month before I got to college. And I remember just kind of falling asleep easily. And then I woke up and it was kind of like, yeah, I was a new creature. And so I began following Jesus at that point. And I went off to college a month later. I was kind of confused because I thought college was going to be like, Animal House, maybe an old school reference for you guys. A 1978 movie, Animal House. Um, that, so anyway, whatever I thought college was going to be like, I had new affections. And so how do I follow Jesus in college became kind of my question. And fortunately, I had some people around me who answered those questions for me. And fortunately, I had all the structures of the Episcopal Church growing up. So 
when I got there, it was kind of like, it wasn't like the ethics in a sense were radically new. It was like what I knew I should be doing uh, was just an issue of kind of bringing myself in line with it. Yeah. So I had my, yeah, my freshman year of college. So most people don't grow up wanting to be street preachers. I think uh, of all the vocations, <laughs> uh, that might be one of the most unpopular Right next to a lawyer. To yeah. I want to be a doctor, a firefighter, and I want to be a, a street preacher. So um, you worked in finance for a while, mm -hmm. um, making, I don't know if you were making big baller dollars. Yeah, but throwing out the Benjamins, yeah, but, but basically I, I tons of money, tons you, of money. You took some kind of pay cut <laughs> yeah. doing what mm. you're doing. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> what would compel someone to make that their, what they do? Like, you, if you don't know this, Keith just drives around the country you know, spends a lot, how many hours do you spend in the car a year? Have you ever calculated that? About 50, well, about 55,000 miles a year, roughly speaking. So I was in Alabama on Sunday, now I'm here, so however many, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I woke up in Alabama on Sunday morning, left there, drove to Tulsa, Oklahoma, preached in Oklahoma Monday, then the last few days I just basically raced here, got here last night, so. Yeah, so explain um, to us, because that seems crazy, I wouldn't ever want to do that. Well, I would say it's great. So, all right, you have two things. So how did I become an open-air preacher was basically this. I became a believer, and I knew nothing of the Bible, like how you're supposed to do ministry. Like, uh, uh, depending on how you guys grew up here, if you've grown up in the church, you kind of have like a philosophy of, oh, here's how we have to do everything. I just became a believer, and the Bible said people were preaching. And so I was like, we should probably be preaching. And we had a guy at my, you guys, if you're not a believer, even if you're a believer, you might think I'm nuts. But if you're a student, if you're a student at Washington State or University of Idaho, you might be like, oh, that guy. So because uh, I know like it's one of those things people either love it or they hate it. It's very rarely like, oh, that makes sense. It's either like this is the greatest thing or like you're a pariah. You know what I mean? So there's no there's very rarely in between. But when I got to college and there was a guy preaching who was nuts, like uh, the language he was using was whores and whoremongers. And I was like, that's, what in the world? You know what I mean? And like concupiscence, you know what I mean? Like everything was like this King, everything was like King James language. I was like, I don't even, what are you talking about? And, uh, and then I, I remember, but on the bright side, I was fascinated by the environment because like everybody was coming out dressed like witches They'd have their tarot cards. And it was all like, I was like, what in the world? Like, uh, and like we had a guy on my my buddy's dorm who was like he, he claimed he was 1,400 years old. He could tell you his previous <laughs> he could tell you his previous 13 lives, and he's coming out to it. Yeah, the Marxist. And so I just love the environment. All these people are mixing it up, and I go back to the dorm, and I'd be terrified to see what I was actually saying because I knew nothing at the time, and I try to explain the gospel to people at the time. You know what I mean? I have no idea what I was saying. Um, but I went back to my dorm, and I remember what was and. Just my nature is, I remember people like, hey, there's going to be a guy preaching in front of the union. Don't go to him. And so I'm like, where's the guy at the union? You know what I mean? So my natural instinct was to go find the guy at the union. And, but on the bright side, so I went back to my dorm. I'd read the book of Acts, and they're publicly preaching. Um, Jesus was publicly preaching. The prophets were publicly preaching. I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, if you're involved with them, that's not to put them, uh, that my, pres my association with them is not to taint them if you're thinking about them. They're good people. Um, uh, but we were reading a book called Fire Seeds of Spiritual Awakening or something like that. And we'd read about John Wesley and George Whitfield and the Waldensians and these people who would publicly preach. So very early on in my Christian life, I'm just like, this is what Christians do. They publicly preach. Um, and so I began to publicly preach. Uh, so, yes, yeah, about seven years later, actually, from when I first had a desire to do it, whenever a guy would come to preach on campus, I'd be out there interacting with students, um, which kind of fed my desire. And then I'd hop up and say something, um, you know give like a little 10 minute snippet of whatever. And then um, about my, uh, during my first year of seminary, someone approached me and they're like, hey, why don't you take a semester off, travel and preach? 
So I bought myself a Volkswagen bus, began to travel and preach, and I fell in love with it. Like, it was great. Everybody thought, I think they all thought I was a drug dealer at first, because, <laughs> like, like, yeah, we drive around on a bus, it was like, hey, man, and I started telling about Jesus, they're like, that's not what we wanted. Um, so, so it was, uh, yeah, so it was great, because you're so approachable in the bus, you know what I mean? Everybody, everybody thinks you're like, and then, you know, whatever. So that was, that was in 2000 that I did it. So I was in seminary, then I'd go, I was in, living in St. Louis, so once a week I got to the University of Missouri and preach. After, I took a semester off seminary, traveled and preached for a semester, returned, and then once a week I'd go out and preach, and I just began to continue to fall in love with it. And I'd begin to see some fruit, I would see people become believers or become encouraged, and so the Lord always gave me enough just to kind of keep encouraging me to do it. And then I woke up in 2000. Five, and I was like, I need to get a real job for a while. And so I moved to New York and worked in finance for five years. And then after five years, I was like, I'm done with the real job. Yeah, yeah. And I, well, and, and I was like, I, when I, you look at your life, and you know, I know we're all reformed here or broadly, and you're like, yeah, all of life is meaningful. But I was like, I don't want to wake up and make a financial company better at 70 years old. You know what I mean? I was just like, I can either work for a, for, like it was a Fortune 100 company. I was like, either do this for the rest of my life, or I can go preach the gospel. And whenever I'd sit out back, we, I worked on um, World Financial Center, in Lower Manhattan, if you ever saw the movie Hitch, when they're on like riding jet skis, uh, that was like right behind my work. We're Christians. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. For, for, yeah, for you normal people who've seen Hitch, uh, for you Christians. Um, and the uh, so anyway, when I would sit out back, and the way the sun would come down, I was like, I'd much rather be interacting with college students than dragging numbers on spreadsheets. So that was uh, then. At the same time, in 2009, I had about seven people all from different areas of my life, say, hey, you're wasting your life in finance, why don't you go preach? So I was like, all right, so nine months later, I packed up and preached. So here I am with you guys a decade later almost. Yeah, yeah so. Thanks. So one of the first objections that uh, normally comes up is you out here preaching is actually counterproductive. It's turning people away. Um, and, and at some level, you, you've seen the crazy, you know, you've seen open air preaching done Poorly, mm -hmm. you know, in front of the the football stadiums, mm -hmm. it's just the Turner burn signs, yeah. or you know, people being obnoxious, and I think that's the caricature that we tend to have, and so you almost don't even they can't even hear you sometimes through that. Yeah. So, so how would you explain to someone who you know is rational that this is actually um, it, it is biblical, but is it wise? Yeah. Well, I would say so. I, there's a couple things and. And even kind of tying in, it's kind of a, a bigger picture, is um, being persuaded that the Lord turns the world's wisdom on its head. And so it is foolish. And the Apostle Paul says that preaching of the cross is foolish just to those who are perishing. So in one breath, I want to say it's absolutely foolish that I do this. Um, and it is intuitively, it's counterproductive. You know what I mean? But what we're persuaded of, so if you can think of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1, he's in jail. So imagine Paul's in jail, and I'm out here preaching solely to stir up trouble for Paul. And Paul says, I don't care as long as the gospel's preached. And so, like, is your confidence in the gospel or is your confidence in you? Most of you, you think your confidence is in yourself. We're going to be, and be winsome, be kind. I'm not, I'm not knocking those things in any way, shape, or form. But we often have, if we just do it just right, we can win them. Opposed to having confidence that, no, the gospel is the power of God and salvation. That even someone who has wicked motives, just to stir up trouble for Paul, Paul can say, I don't care as long as the gospel is preached. So I do think it is kind of counterintuitive. Um, but I'm persuaded that the Lord uses this foolishness. Because if you were God, you would not send me out on campus to preach the gospel. You wouldn't. Uh, and, and so uh, I think it's part of his wisdom is to take something so foolish 
and be pleased to have that and change people's hearts for all eternity. So in Acts 16, when Paul's preaching, it says that God opened Lydia's heart to Paul's message. So when I'm preaching, my only hope and prayer is that God would open somebody's heart. I have no ability to change somebody's heart. And one of my favorite sermons was Martin Luther at the time of the Reformation, that they were upset at the pace of the Reformation, so some of the people wanted to start beating up Catholics. And Luther's like, look, we, we, don't, we don't turn to violence. We just preach and we publish the word of God. We can get no further than their ears. It's God who changes the heart. So our responsibility is to preach and publish the word of God. And he goes on to say, basically, while they did that and drank beer in Wittenberg, uh, God, uh, God basically weakened the papacy. So um, that's what I'm persuaded of. I show up on campus, I preach the gospel, and then hopefully you guys who are in the dorms and everything else, when they say, hey, did you see the crazy guy in front of the library? You can be like, oh, what about Jesus? And then you have a conversation about the gospel. Next thing you know, that person comes up to me a semester later, remember last time you were here, blah, 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 blah. I went back to my dorm, I became a believer. And that's usually what I end up seeing. Very rarely do I expect anybody to immediately convert while I'm out there for a combination of things. One, most people don't know enough about Jesus at that point to convert. Um, most of the immediate fruit I see is somebody who has a bit of a Christian background, very rarely somebody with no Christian background. Are, but it's usually, as Paul says, one sows, one water, God gives the increase. So I show up on campus, I preach, I'm sowing or watering, they go back to their dorm and the Christians who are in their dorm kind of reap, yeah. reap from the sowing. So, so it is foolish. I don't want to downplay that. The Bible says it's foolish. Um, well, our question is, is it biblical? And so I think it's biblical, I think it's historical, and I think if you join me, uh, you'll see, you, you know, in many ways you'll think it's still kind of foolish, but what, what you'll see, yeah, I'm constantly amazed at the stuff I get to see, to be honest with you. Like, people who you don't think would be into it, um, they'll sit there for four or five hours a day listening to the gospel. And, it, and it's terrifying to me, actually, to be like, oh God, please don't want to make any decisions because of me. You know what I mean? Like, the last thing you want is the responsibility, really, of someone sitting there for four hours listening to you and being like, they might make different decisions in life because of me. That's terrifying, actually. It's not like, yeah, in some ways I want the responsibility, in other ways it's a terrifying responsibility. James tells us not many should presume to be teachers for they'll be judged more strictly. And so everything I say is going to be judged ultimately. So you don't want to be, um, yeah, you don't want to be wrong in doing it. Uh, but ultimately God's gracious, and so even if I do mess up, and I'm, I'm, this is a little tangential, but the, the times I have felt like I've sinned in preaching, probably one of my favorite stories is I was in Montana, and I, it was at the end of the day, and I thought I was just talking to a group of Christians, and they were defending their church, like this guy living in sin, and they were defending him, and I kind of lost it, um, and I'm rebuking everybody. And uh, this guy comes up from behind me, and he says something, and I thought he was with them, so I gave him a quick punch, that sort of thing, not literally. Um, and, uh, and then like he turns around, walks away, and as soon as I walked away, I was like, I, like, I shouldn't have said that to him, you know what I mean? And so it was like really grievous, um, but a local guy who heard us on campus really liked it, so he took us out to dinner, and that guy who I rebuked showed up in the restaurant, and he's just staring at me, he's going to his seat. And so I went over to go talk to him, and he's just staring at me as I'm walking down the aisle to him, and you kind of feel the tension. I just say, hey, I want to apologize to you. Like, I'm, not talk I'm a Christian, I not talk to you in a way that is in a godly manner and stuff like that, and he started crying at the table. He's just like, I did not expect you to do that. And so the Lord's, uh, so on the bright side, I say that to say the Lord's given me opportunities to ask for forgiveness in the context that I felt like I've sinned or believed I've sinned, where my conscience told me I sinned. And that gives you an opportunity, believe it or not, to preach the gospel. You're a sinner in need of the grace of God, and the thing that you're telling other people, you need the grace of God, I need the grace of God, and if it's not for grace, I'm going to hell. And so the idea that you have to go out and ask somebody for forgiveness or repent to them is not, it, you, you might think, oh no, I can't do that because I'm a Christian. No, no you're, the idea that you're a sinner in need of grace is a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, so the times I've done that, I, I feel like the Lord's given me the opportunity to go back and apologize. So. Yeah.
So you just mentioned uh, figurative punches. How many times have you been literally punched? <laughs> um, I think five. Um, yeah. Uh, the if, if, I, 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 usually when I'm here, because the first time I was actually here at the University of Idaho in two, in, uh, in two thousand. Vandals. Yeah, those vandals. It was in two thousand twelve, and. Um, we got up here, a friend of mine preached, and then I take over. I'm literally just reading Psalm 24. I hadn't even really said anything yet. And, uh, just, just God's word. Just God's word. Yeah, <laughs> Psalm 24 is all I'm doing is reading that. And again, the, like, if you're out at the library, you kind of have like that little, little stairs and a little place where people can sit. But then you have that walkway going up to the student union. And this girl's coming down from there and, uh, you know, shaved side of the head, combat boots, and like a flowy dress. And she's just beeline it to me, you know what I mean? Then boom, boom, boom. And I was like, uh, and, and I was like, sweet, she's gonna, she's gonna get the crowd going. And, uh, and so, so as she's coming on down, um, she ends up just yelling out, you're judgmental. And I said, well, what if I said it's judgmental? I'm just reading the Bible. She says, you wanna take away a woman's right to choose. I said, I haven't talked about taking anybody's right of doing anything and blah, blah, blah. So we start going back and forth with one-liners, which I thought was funny. And for a little bit, she apparently thought was funny. And, and the crowd thought was funny. And, um, and then she ran out of things to say. I, th I was getting the best of her. I was a smart aleck. And, and she ran out of things to say. And so she hits me up with, you know what? You're an ignorant pedophile, which was like, that just kind of like went to another level. How do we get there? And, and I probably should have just backed off the conversation at that point. But I unfortunately says, you know what? When you say something like that, I think you're dealing with your own issues out here. And then, bam, she decks me. And uh, the only part that was kind of funny, so she winds up again, I run from her, oh! <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so, and I did, I go, whoa, as I'm, as I'm running from her. And, um, and then she turns around, starts walking through the crowd, and the, the whole plaza was like, really was filled with people. And um, she's walking through the crowd, and I thought it'd be really funny, and this isn't to offend anybody out here, but I say, oh, even though you're a feminist, you still hit like a girl. And, yeah, and so, so imagine everybody else's responses. You're like the home team, and you get, and, and so when the home team gives you an oh, you can only imagine, only imagine what the opposing party does. And so they were none too pleased, and next thing you know, there's police and uh, all this sort of stuff. So, um, so that was, that was the University of Idaho, about, really, honestly, straight up about seven years ago now. And then um, a couple other times. One time, actually, I was uh, walking on the street in Bozeman, Montana, at like 10 o'clock in the morning. I, I have like my little cup of coffee, like all ready to go preach. And I hear, you effing Christians. And I said, God bless you. <laughs> and, and, and when I said, like, the, it was like the cartoons with the ears and the head. And like, he just rides up on his bike, punches me, and keeps riding. Um, but the thing that was funny with him is he comes the semester later, he comes riding through our crowd. He's like, hey, what's up, preacher? And I was like, the guy who punched me? And he's like, <laughs> he's like yeah, how you doing? I was like, fine, I guess. You know? So he, uh, and then, yeah, the thing that's interesting is, honestly, it doesn't bother me. So, like, the only thing that actually really bothers me when I'm out there is, like, when Christians take issue with me. I feel like I can take anything from the unbeliever. And usually the guy who's hitting me is, like, actually engaged, you know what I mean? So like, so it might seem counterintuitive, but I'm like, oh, they'll be back, you know what I mean? And He's tracking with the yeah, argument. Something's, yeah. something's going on in them that like, what would make you wanna, I mean, look at me, why would you wanna hit me, you know what I mean? Like, perfectly likable. So, um, so the, the idea that someone wants to hit me, I feel like they're at least kind of engaged. So I was uh, preaching in Colorado one time, and uh, I was off on the side, it was kind of funny, my buddy Sean uh, was like on the US ski team at one time, and he had like, these little gospel tracks, like 
like a business card with like, hi, I'm Sean, I was on the ski team, then someone told me about Jesus, you know what I mean, like a real basic little thing, and he's like, and I, I never like handing them out, I hope he doesn't see this, um, and he's like, I never, but he's always, when he would preach, like, hey, would you mind handing these out, and I was like, okay, so I'd go off on the side, and as people would walk by, I'd like, gospel message, if they'd say yes or no, God bless you, enjoy your day, that's all I'd say, and this guy turns around and just starts berating me, and he says, um, and I said, well, are you a Christian? He's like, yes, I am a Christian, and I kind of went through First, uh, First Corinthians 1, where talks about the gospel being foolishness to those who are perishing. And then I, I, I said, well, would you say you're a born-again Christian? Yes, I am born-again. So I go to read John 3, and he takes the Bible from my hand. I was like, well, I don't know if a Christian would steal my Bible. Then bam, then he punches me. I'm like, I'm not sure one would punch me either. And he goes, turn the other cheek, turn the other cheek. And I'm like, all right. You know what I mean? so, so I start backing up. So I was like, if he starts wailing away, Sean will at least pull him off of me. And, but it was crazy. So this guy went nuts for like 15 minutes. Like he's crying. He's down on his knees asking for forgiveness. Then he's up, like acting like he's putting demons in me. And like just went bananas. And it was kind of funny. We had this guy. Scott with us, and we called him the pacifier, because if the crowd ever got too wild, we could tag him in. It was almost like putting the pacifier in the baby, and, uh, and, every, and the crowd just kind of calmed down, like, get him, pacifier. And, and so while this guy's going nuts, he's like sliding a gospel track in his coat, in his shirt, he's like, there you go. You know what I mean? And, um, but what was crazy was a week later, I get an email from a guy in Colorado, said, hey, this guy came to church, said he punched you. What happened? You know what I mean? And so, you know, I, I don't, and I said, hey, have no animosity towards the guy. We'd love to forgive him, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, but I never heard back after he said, thank you, blah, blah. And I never heard like a follow-up, but like yeah. point being is more often than not, the person who's doing something along those lines or is really upset with me, they're engaged. And so, so going back to kind of the counterintuitive nature of it often, like I've seen enough of a movie play out. Whereas if you're just taking a snapshot, it's like, man, that guy's doing everything wrong. But if you watch the movie play out, the person who's the most worked up by the end of the movie is fairly engaged, if that makes sense. And so it seems counterintuitive. And if you haven't seen that movie, play out and you just see me getting punched, you're like, oh no, he's doing something wrong. Yeah. But I've seen enough of the guy come back and want to learn more that it doesn't bother me or if they're stealing something of mine or whatever it may be. So yeah, so there are a couple others, but yeah, yeah that's basic. So if you're gonna go be an open air preacher, just prepare. Yeah, yeah, prepare yeah, don't have a glass time. jaw. So my, my rule is if a girl knocks me out, I can't return to the campus for five years. That is, <laughs> that is, my, that is my rule. So are so. you blacklisted right now? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Okay. I've, I've not been beat up or knocked out on a campus, okay. so, so I have that going for me. So you, you have this uh, unique experience of getting to kind of talk to college students all day long in different spaces. So that's my part one of my interview with Aaron Ventura and Collegiate Reformed Fellowship up in Moscow, Idaho. And next week we will pick up on part two of that interview and kind of we will flesh out a little more practical elements of what's going on in ministry as you can kind of hear um, Aaron's question there regarding some of my experience on campus regarding the questions and everything else that people get. So if you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations regarding anything I said in this episode, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, Campus Evangel. Feel free to email me, Keith, at campusfuture.com. Instagram is Campus Preacher, and then Facebook is just my name, Keith Daryl, on the Facebook. So yeah, if you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to reach out to me. But the Lord bless you, keep you, talk to you next week. A sower went forth to sow, bearing precious seed in his hand, hoping and hope that he might see it grow. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom, he runs on his way, there's no time to be going slow. Hurry, take what you've got. Do with it what you can.